This is the My Child Will Thrive podcast, and I'm your host, Tara Hunkin, nutritional therapy practitioner, certified GAPS practitioner, restorative wellness practitioner, and mother. I'm thrilled to share with you the latest information, tips, resources, and tools to help you on the path to recovery for your child with ADHD, autism, sensory processing disorder, or learning disabilities. My own experiences with my daughter, combined with as much training as I can get my hands on, research I can dig into, and conferences I can attend, have helped me to develop systems and tools for parents like you who feel overwhelmed trying to help their children. So sit back as I share another great topic to help you on your journey. A quick disclaimer before we get started. My Child Will Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare practitioner. The information provided on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat your child. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before implementing any information or treatments that you have learned about on this podcast. There are many gifted, passionate, and knowledgeable practitioners with hundreds if not thousands of hours of study and clinical experience available to help guide you. Part of our goal is to give you the knowledge and tools you need to effectively advocate for your child so that you don't blindly implement each new treatment that comes along. No one knows your child better than you. No one knows your child's history like you do or can better judge what is normal or abnormal for your child. The greatest success in recovery comes from the parent being informed and asking the right questions and making the best decisions for their child in coordination with a team of qualified practitioners in different areas of specialty. Now on with the show. Hi, I want to welcome everybody back to the My Child Will Thrive Well podcast and video show on YouTube. And I want to welcome today my guest, Faith Clark. Um, I'm, how are you today, Faith? Hey, Tara. Good. Good. So before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit about Faith, but, um, I, and, and, and why, um, why I was thought it would be amazing to have her here with us today. So what we're going to talk about today is entrepreneurship as an act of radical self-care. And that's um, something that actually Faith came up with. So I can't wait to dive into that. But before I do that, let me tell you a little bit about Faith. Uh, Faith is an intuitive strategist and a new venture specialist, um, an author and an academic nerd, a design thinker and an outlander junkie. She helps disruptive eclectic businesses infuse their core DNA into their team so that they can catalyze social change from the inside out. She especially loves to do this with special needs family-run businesses who create space for people with special needs. Uh, Faith is also the author of Parenting Like a Ninja, an Autism Month's Guide to Professional Productivity, which is an Amazon bestseller and reflects her own journey with the crazy chaos of special needs parenting and the need to harness energy and be productive. She believes entrepreneurship is a perfect mental and psychological health choice for many special needs parents and offers the opportunity to do business differently while creating more of what our communities need. She's also the host of Disrupt and Lead, a podcast showcasing courageous entrepreneurs with complex family lives who navigate daily chaos and create more of the change in the world they want to see. And she's also currently helping her two younger children, uh, Simone and Zachary. Uh, Simone's 18 and Zachary's 15 with their first project, which is called Inspiraction. It's a creative art company that offers illustrations and stories 
in art that inspire. And in addition, her son, Jaden, who's 20 with nonverbal autism, wants to write a book about his experience with anxiety. So you have your hands full. <laughs> I do. I do. And, but yet you do it with a smile on your face. Every time I talk to you, I get, um, I feel more relaxed. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Life in general. So you inspire that and others. So that's why I think today's um, conversation that we're going to have is so perfect. And as I said to you before we got started, um, typically, and you also said too, typically when we talk about entrepreneurship, we are talking about how stressful it is, how um, difficult it is to start a business. It's all about the challenges around it. Now, also the flexibility that it tends to give us in our lives, but then a lot of entrepreneurs say it's not nearly as flexible as they thought they would be. <laughs> Which is why I think your perspective on this is one so unique and so exciting because I do think entrepreneurship is really um, a great, uh, well, a great thing in general, but, but also uh, it, it tends to help a lot of parents that want some flexibility around their lives. So let's dig in and figure out how you came up with this perspective on entrepreneurship and, and uh, your journey um, with your son and, and your businesses. So um, it's interesting, right? Because I think every time we think self-care, we think, you know, uh, mani-pedi and um, a massage, which I really need a pedicure. <laughs> I haven't had one in years. Um, so I, I think we think in these kind of really specific ways. And But I think for me, I have to um, own the fact that self, that's faith, care, um, was the only way to care for Jaden, my son with autism. And then, you know, as an expansion of that, just it was the only way to parent. And it, it, it took me kind of having no faith care to recognize what was happening for me. And so I think, you know, with anybody who has a child with chronic illness, you tend to be really outward facing. I mean, I, I was, I have been and still am on a constant 24-7 kind of high vigilance parenting relationship with him I sleep with my ears open you know, because if there's anyone who could um, uh, disarm the autism proofing of our home it's Jaden and so I'm thinking you know did he get the window open at two in the morning and so there's a lot of this kind of constant monitoring of the environment and perhaps not equivalent monitoring of my internal world and the result of that was just you know sleeplessness and all the good stuff but um, sadness and anxiety and anxiety about uh, Jaden, but anxiety that became more generalized and anxiety that was about monitoring the safety of the family and the kids and, and like how, what their lives are going to be and so on. And so it, mixed in with that, I was not, uh, I'd stopped working and I'm, I was happy to stop working. I really didn't care about working for others um, after I got Jaden's diagnosis. But I realized that over time, I, all of my sources of energy were, were, were gone. And it took some time for me to realize that I really loved, like I love talking to people informally and long, deep dives over coffee and stuff like that. And I love teaching. I love presenting. I love facilitating learning experiences. And I love the feeling I get afterwards. It's like a euphoric high. And it just... I had systematically removed all those things from my life. And there are times when I'd start something back and I'd facilitate some workshops and then I'd come home 
and everything felt so chaotic. It's like I left and and left a hole, and then come I came back home to more work. It, it, that's how it felt, you know, just more autism to to de to process and and more toddler craziness and and just stuff. So the absence on the inside of just kind of infusion of things that faith loved plus the hypervigilance I think led to something that was very dark and difficult when we hit the puberty years and so entrepreneurship for me became and and entrepreneurship the way I'm defining it now I I did start a business before as I love I still use that my original business name Melody of Autism Um, but the way I designed that business was again very what do they need and not as much what helps me thrive and so stepping out of that phase and saying, how would I really want to live if I only had 10, day, 10 hours per week to do something that felt meaningful to me, what would I do? And recrafting my business such that I was the primary engine of care and I was doing the stuff that I love to do and offering that gift of love to others just you know, it gave me energy. Um, and, you know, studies back this up, but it just kind of gave me more, it gave me almost the amount of energy I'd get from sleep, almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so just, I, I really feel like special needs moms and women, especially who tend to be super outward focused in terms of care, need to be aggressive about finding ways to infuse themselves, to kind of listen to their hearts and infuse themselves with stuff to give energy back into the system that's producing this massive amount of care in the environment so that's kind of how i see entrepreneurship can be a way to to force that thing to happen yeah there's there's so many aspects of that that i really love i mean there's tons to dig into there but one of the things that you're talking about too is that you still are at that that stage and you, you don't that's sleep is elusive um obviously if you live with your ears open so, and sleep is always the one that we go to when we talk about self-care because obviously not being sleep deprived as, you know, I could tell from just the look on your face when you talked about sleeping even better, um, <laughs> you know, it is incredibly powerful in terms of, you know, stress and, and everything else. But also, so is, you know, the science shows um, having that, that joy uh, in what you're doing and having that... Um, having that the uplift from the work that you're doing. So you, what you've done really here from what I can see is you've created an opportunity to de-stress at least part of your life through the work that you're doing and give you joy at the same time, which is um, the science, you know, obviously backs that up as well in terms of how impactful that can be on our health. So I, which, you know, it's a tricky thing to do. So what you're talking about doing with your, um, the work that you're doing, or at least I look at it, or I think a lot of entrepreneurs think it's really hard to do that. How do you go about finding, um, creating your business so that you can focus on the parts of your business that do bring you that kind of joy? Right. Um, so I think that, you know, as you, you were talking, what, I, what came to mind was that it's that flow state, that, that state of flow. Um, I don't remember the psychologist, but that place where you're in the zone, loving the thing you do, that's almost meditative. And all of the kind of psychological and biochemical benefits we know that we get from meditation 
or that benefit that we we get that from things that cause us to stop the fight flight response you know when you're just like ah and you live life that way all anything that we can do that kind of shuts that lower brain brainstem down that shuts down the control of those parts of us and help us to be in that higher state i think that's healing to our bodies and that will help us so for example i actually sleep better now because i'm just not as much in the grip of the panic anxiety fight flight that i was in and so for me it's the hack i used and in, and for many women who are going to go entrepreneurship i said don't go entrepreneurship the way we've seen it done we have to be really deliberate about going into it in a way that's going to help us heal and help us see um, just who we are and kind of share that with the world while just normalizing the chaos that's inside. So how do I do that? I think, you know, first of all, I set the rule for myself. 80% is just a number, but I'll just say it here. If 80% of what you're doing in your business isn't the stuff that lights you up, then we have the wrong business model. And so when I meet with a client, one of my first things is that we'll, we'll just talk about what she's actually doing and we'll just scale it. Like, okay, so this that you do, you have a new client right now and you're doing this with them and then you do that with them and then you do this with them over your journey with them. Let's just look at it. How do you feel? Um, and they, which, I, we feel it out. Is it energizing or is it not? If it's not energizing, then we go into a redesign if they're open to it. Mm -hmm. And many of us as women, I think we feel that we shouldn't make money on things that aren't hard. And so <laughs> some of it is it's tricky now to say, well, actually, let's make the most money on the stuff that's fun. Uh, the stuff that's easy for you is like, ah, oh, the stuff that's easy, like that's unethical to be making money off the stuff that's easy. Actually, the stuff that's easy is probably easy because you've worked really hard to make it easy. Yeah. And, and just to really own that this is just brilliance for you now. This is expertise for you now. This is gifting for you now. So let's figure out how to stay there as much as possible. And I think then also it's figuring out how to know when you're not there. Like, for example, if you have a client that you're thinking, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> so then there's something about that interaction, either how you're choosing clients, that's not catering to your kind of bliss and joy. And then we talk about that. Maybe it's the type of clients that you're attracting that we need to reframe who you're working with or it's what you're doing with them. And some of that, it's about saying, actually, I'm going to start the journey with the clients at this point and not for chains earlier because I feel responsible for helping them make this journey. And so it's just kind of looking at the whole thing and being willing to be honest about what we're doing and saying these things that don't give me joy, I'm going to stop doing them. I'm going to stay in the zone with this thing that gives me joy, make my money from that, and then outsource the rest. Sometimes we think, oh no, I can't outsource until I've made the money, but then I can't, I don't have the energy to make the money when I'm constantly uh, doing things I don't enjoy. So I tend to say, well, let's truncate it, let's make our money on this area where you love, and then we'll figure out how to add bells and whistles that other people love doing, we'll pay them to do it. Um, and so it's kind of like that thing. And some, a lot of it is very introspective work. I do a lot of personality assessment with people and with myself, it's lots of meditation and kind of internal work to say, but what, but what really do you like here? 
Um, and sometimes I, I ask myself, oh, you had an experience that you hated. What's that? What was what's going on in that interaction, either with a client or in some kind of experience that I had professionally? If I know what I hate, then it's like, well, good. Let's make sure these things are not in how you do business. Um, so, for example, I love doing workshops, but I did a workshop for um, a governmental uh, agency. Um, I would say which one, and and um, I hated it. And and everybody there, I realized that they were there for mandatory staff training, and so they weren't interested in being there. And and it was like a bell rang, ninety minutes, and the room levitated and headed out the door. And I was like, huh. I don't think you could pay me enough money to do this again, but I learned something about myself and that was about choosing certain kinds of clients. It was about what kind of engagement I want. There's no point in me leaving my family, going somewhere, doing a thing that the financial exchange cannot be enough if I am going to leave it feeling crappy. Yeah. And so um, some of that is how I, I kind of help people to just like design it first of all, and then notice just by noticing how you're feeling when you're coming out of it um, and then figuring out oh, what's missing. Is that something that I should be having somebody else do? Or is that something I need to internally reframe so that it fits within bliss and joy for me? So yeah. what, what I like about what you're talking about, too, is that you don't a lot of times people when they hear, oh, you know, you gotta do what you love and they're like, no, 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 I need to make money, especially a lot of the parents that you and I both speak to that have a lot of costs involved in their child, children's care. So often money is a really big stress. So they feel like yeah. they need to make that sacrifice and what they want for, um, in order to make, you know, ends meet and, and, and meet the needs of their children. Right. But, but what you're talking about is not ignoring that. And actually, um, maybe you can talk about, I don't know if you have an example of where it made a big difference where you had a client that actually made the shift of working or maybe even on your own business, working on what they actually really loved and did outsource those other pieces that they didn't love or do it, do as well themselves. Cause that's usually hand in hand. <laughs> we don't like doing the things that we don't do very well and are easy to do, as you said, that we're not in a flow state. So do you, do you have an example of where following yeah. what's good for you actually ends up being financially healthy for you as well? So I'll give two examples. Um, I, uh, with my own business, um, Melody of Autism, the original business model is a childcare model. Um, basically, I recruited caregivers for families of kids with autism. I trained them, the training I love doing. But I didn't have it as a staffing model. So the, the caregivers weren't my staff, but they weren't necessarily my clients either. So there was no way of making sure they came to trainings and stuff like that. Um, and it was only, our compensation was only on the markup on, you know, like the referral fee kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, most of the work was recruiting and training and especially recruiting and supervising. And then there was problem solving when the parent called and said, you know, somebody didn't show up or something's wrong or whatever it is or a caregiver is sick. And there's a massive level of administration. And I realized that I just felt nauseous when, when, a, when a client called me and said, hey, do you have a caregiver? Instead of feeling, whoa, I am helping you get more time, which is my, my desire, my objective is I help you get more time to thrive. 
But I didn't have that thought at all when people called me. I'm helping you get more time to thrive. And the markup, because I was so in tune with the parent struggle of we have not, we don't have enough money to do all these things. And so I was almost enmeshed in that conversation in their head. So my markup was not enough and for the work that I was doing. And I think over time I had to decide courageously. This is not a decision about outsourcing. And I think this has to be, you have to be willing to make this decision first. I decided that the training was the only thing I liked. I, I, you know, so I, it took me a year gradually releasing clients just like okay I'm you can work with this caregiver on your own and you pay them directly and it'll be fine and I you know I let you go and I I should have gone a little faster but what that did for me once I said I will not recruit that just freed me up to say well, what will I do and mm -hmm. so then I would say to people I can help you train your existing caregiver I can help you with autism sensitivity training for your company. And then I started to build training into the stuff that I really wanted to do with people into entrepreneurship or whatever it was. Price point on a training is way higher than the price point on caregiving. And the, the, the overhead on the training is way lower than the overhead on the caregiving. So the choice was a smart financial choice, but I was so emotionally invested in giving parents something that was, I felt would be easy for them to get. And that would just really make a little bit of difference. I wasn't stepping into what was going to energize me, which was the thing that was going to actually make me more money, which would provide better stability for my family, which puts me in a better place to help these very families. Because it's easy for me to say to help somebody know how to find a caregiver if I'm in the place where I need to be. So that's like the first one that um, came to mind. And I'm talking with a client right now who has a done for you type of business model where her clients comes in and she basically does everything, some strategic thinking with them. And then also all of the pieces and there's, you know, marketing and kind of graphic design and every single piece. and and I, it's just, it's been interesting to kind of watch her notice that, well, I'm a mom of a child with special needs. I need to shift this. And so now just watching her relinquish some of the pieces, outsource some of it to actual designers, some of it she may, I'm thinking ahead of her in, in some ways, but she may actually just remove them from her product. I think many of us come from places where we do things for people and don't value the fact that expertise and wisdom is its own product and um and so just being willing to say to a client hey i can help you do this but i won't do it for you much of the doing for you is stuff that isn't necessarily energizing for us because this is this is stuff that we probably do for ourselves and don't like it <laughs> so we just do it because we need to you know so yeah. Well, I think actually you touched on a number of things there, which is when you are thinking about, I, I, I agree with you that, that especially a lot of us that create businesses around what our experience has been in our lives to solve that problem for others as well. You do end up doing a lot of things that you don't like to do because you know that, that it's something that people need and want because they don't like and to you do it. You didn't like doing it. Yeah. But, but on, on top of that, we are very, you know, usually these are, you know, what a lot of people refer to as heart-centered businesses. And then we don't value, um, and, we, and we know that people are in, you know, are having, a lot of people are having financial challenges making, making um, 
choices for their children day in and day out about therapies and treatments and, and caregivers and everything else so that we don't end up valuing uh, the work that we're doing for them or we're, we're trying to give it to them at the, the most affordable price. But then in the end, as you said, you uh, almost dread providing that service because you aren't being compensated appropriately for what, right. the, what you're bringing to the table. It'd be interesting to, too, to, in terms of your business, um, in terms of the, it's Melodies of Autism, right? The melody, the melody, melody, of melody of autism, um, yeah. whether or not two people found that the quality in terms of what, what actually really worked for them is they hired their caregiver and then sent them to you for training. I uh, often, um, business owners find that when the, the, the person takes ownership of the cost of, of, of doing that training, they tend to, um, apply it a lot more, uh, to the work that they're doing. So I, it, it, I it, think so. Yeah, the outcomes I would imagine would have increased as well, which also gives us a lot more joy in the work that we're doing when people are actually being able to apply and um, and benefit from the work as well. I think one of the more like energizing experiences I've had is being in a sort of corporate and eclectic business, as the catch-all phrase, um, but to go into their space and train their caregivers. There is this deeper sense of ownership. You're, you're right that they are like this is something we want for our mission, and then I come to kind of join with that energy. That's way different from um, you give me a person that does the thing I think I need, but I haven't kind of invested myself yet in even defining what that thing is. So it's super easy for me to say, no, you got me the wrong person. No you know, versus the energetic experience of almost synergy of, hey, this is a mission I have. And I say, yes, and I can align with that and really help you create that, you know. And so, yeah, I think definitely a better quality product. And again, for me, because that's the stuff that juices me up. Because um, I think, I definitely think that's another person who is um, have you ever done fascination advantage? It's, it's a personality yeah. type. Well, anyway, it says, you know, one of the things it says about me is that I am, don't give me detailed work and I am great with detailed work, but in comparison to my strategic thinking and visionary type work, detailed stuff is not, no. And, um, but there are other people who just get high on that. Mm. And I think for those people, the challenge of, yes, we're going to go through all of the tedium of recruiting <laughs> this is like they don't think it's tedium it's just juicy and joyful right exactly so. it's actually it's funny because it's yeah so th there was the choice of words we could tell what you liked or <laughs> didn't like it's no. all it's all in the choice of words so what would you say to someone who so if we have a parent listening right now that is thinking about going into business for themselves um so that they can uh, obviously provide, but also to find some joy in what they want to do. What, what do you think when you're, if you were first just starting out, what would you have done differently right from the get-go in terms of making that decision of what type of business to go into? Are there questions that we should be asking ourselves? Um, so I, I tend to start now if I'm thinking about, you know, where I would have been or with, with a client, I tend to start with our core drive as parents which is to help our kids right and so the the reality that i like to say to a mom to settle into is that more stuff is caught than is taught and so the development that we really want for our kids especially our kids with special needs 
is this willingness to search through really hard things and find what lights them up. Especially for our kids who have to work very hard to do basic stuff, their ability to get to their motivation and our ability to keep pointing them to motivation as a way to push through and be able to do hard things like hold a pencil, um, that has to be super key. And as our kids get older, they become more and more aware of how far behind they are. And so I, I tend to start there because if I'm not willing to find what lights me up and to pursue it, even though life feels hard, then I can't model that for my child. And I became, as my kids got older, I became really just convicted about that, that I wasn't modeling, I was modeling do what others think is important. And I know that that doesn't help the kid who is trying and failing to, to be potty trained or trying and failing as my son is to point to the right letter on his communication board. And I think that I feel like the, the energy of find your joy and sit in it and push through, use it to energize you, to push through hard stuff has to be the message we give our kids. So that's, I'll get off my soapbox. No, I, I so, will. First of all, just so to interrupt, I love your soapbox. <laughs> it is really, really true. I think we see our kids doing the really, really tough stuff. Like my daughter's same thing. They work so hard. They, they, they push work very hard. so hard um, to make a difference, the smallest difference in their lives. So we feel like we need to do that too. And I think yeah. that, that what you said is that, and we just do that instinctually. We, we, we work at, at the, we find the hardest thing to do. It seems like, at least I think I do sometimes and just to show that, yeah, I can work hard too. And, right. and, and model that as opposed to, um, not that that's not a great thing that they're doing and it's not great to work hard, but there is another way to go about it, which is, I think what's really important to, to take away from that as well. So I think this thing, as our, as our kids get older, motivation can really flag. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's hard to, you know, I, I don't think motivation is the kind of thing where it's high or low. I think it's source, source of motivation. Is it internal or is it something that's external, like do this for this external benefit? And we know that external motivation isn't sustained, right? So I really do feel that as people who are thinking about starting businesses, many of our kids, by the way, are probably going to have to start their own businesses because the modern workplace isn't fit for them. And so many of us need to start businesses to create space, but that's a different conversation. Um, they're going to need to really be internally driven. And so we have to be willing to find our internal drive. So question for anybody who's thinking about a business is what do you really, really love? And the obstacle many of us come upon is, yeah, but I can't make money from that. And I would like, yes, I would be happy to talk to you to tell you there are 15 million ways to make money from what you love if we believe it's possible. Um, but what do you love? Let's figure out how to keep that front and center. And the easy answer to what you love and what you're good at though, is the stuff people call you for for free. Like there are people who are calling you like right now, say, hey, can you help me do the, da, 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 da. And you just like your kid is crying or you, know, you haven't slept and you just do it anyway. I love to help women do businesses out of things that they can do even when they're sleep deprived or even when it's like there's a ton of stuff I said to my therapist once it's like everything falls into the toilet and he said not everything <laughs> and I was like that's true it's not everything <laughs> so, so there are some things that are maintained regardless of what state we're in why don't we do more of those things 
because clearly they're not as fragile as some of these other things that we let go of as soon as we're under pressure. And so if we can kind of get answers to those questions, then it's easy then to think, okay, how can I share that with other people and have the courage to say, pay me for it. And so um, that's, that's the simple process. I love that's that. That's the simple process that I ask my clients to think through. Yeah, no, I love that. So, and then what, what do you do? And I think you've talked a little bit about this, but what do you do if you have a business that um, is already existing? I know you, you obviously have people sit and think about what, what parts of it give them joy, but it, do you ever come across the, the, the situation where someone just needs to start fresh instead of trying to re-engineer what they've already started? Um, usually, I think if people need to start fresh, they, they already know that when they've, they're starting to speak to me. It's really hard when I think somebody needs to start fresh to convince them of that. Um, so I, I try to just stay away from that. But usually, when we're in the wrong business, the pain speaks to us. Whether that's the pain of not being fulfilled, or in the case of where we've already scaled, we have some staff and some products already on the ground, it's the pain of the revolving door staff. Because there's some other kind of things that happen when we're in the wrong business. The right people don't get on our team or they don't stay with us um, or, or the people who stay are just the wrong fit for us energy-wise. We have the wrong clients. And so it starts to be painful and you see recurring problems. And as you start to say, okay, why, why did we have this problem? And why are we having that problem? it starts to morph into a change of core DNA. And so that's why I tend to say, let's help infuse core DNA. There is a core way that we want to be in the world. And as we learn from the stuff that's going wrong, it helps us to clarify, okay, well, what is this way? And then how do we infuse that? And perhaps more gradually, you'll see a shift in strategy, which will show up as a shift in products. Um, and sometimes I tend to say, hey, why don't we just pause our energy on two or three of these things and just focus our energy on this particular thing. And let's see, no, no, we don't have to shut them off. They're, they, if they're stable and they're creating income, that's fine. But let's just increase our energy in this one area and see what happens. Um, because I think once we, once we own, I hate that stuff and figure out what does that mean in terms of what I really do value and what do I really how do I want to act and how do I want my team to act and how do I want us to show up in the world really when we kind of have the courage to own that then it creates shift in terms of you know what the business looks like today versus you know a few years ago yeah so no, I, I love all of that it's it's amazing how um sometimes you know obviously the the, the tough things in life like you know what you, what your son has to goes through every day uh, can turn into some really great joys. What would you have been doing? Um, you said you were you t went out of the workplace um, when your son was diagnosed. What 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 do you think you would be doing now if you hadn't had that um, change in in your life? I am not sure. So I was a um, I was an engineer, computer engineer, and teaching computer programming at the college level, and I loved teaching mm -hmm. and I hated academic bureaucracy so I feel like I was heading out of that anyway and I was at an academic conference listening to people talk about whatever and I thought I don't care I don't I don't care uh, I just, you know, so so 
for me, Jaden was a kind of fast track into what I really did care about. And I was coming to the place where I knew I cared about creating meaningful experiences for people. But I think I would have second guessed that. I said, when I went to school for this, should ha- how do I kind of do this other thing? Um, I think parenting and especially a complex needs child kind of said to me, that doesn't matter. Had <laughs> to, you know, all of the gremlin noises kind of, although they're loud, were not as loud as um, what he, what Jaden Crate helped me think about, which then opened up a lot of space for everything else. And so Jaden's name means God has heard. And at first I thought, oh, God is hearing my prayer for him. And mm-hmm. then the next thing is, oh, well, maybe God is hearing other people's prayer and I get to be part of answering that. But now I'm thinking, oh, maybe God is hearing my prayer for me. And maybe all of this comes out to that. So I'm, that's, that's kind of how I've been holding onto my experience with autism. That's amazing. I uh, want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you and your book and everything else, because you um, are an amazing resource to parents out there that are, are, you know, trying to do um, well, the best for their families, but the best for themselves now, which is really kind of a whole new way of looking at things. I think for most of us, so where can people find you if they would like to learn more about the work that you do and your book and, um, and also follow along as you're, you're creating these new projects with your, your kids as well, which I think is very cool. Um, Facebook is the uh, easiest place to find me. Um, and I, would, I think I'm going to give you the link for the show notes. Um, but I think just Google me and in Facebook and you are search for me in Facebook, you'll find me melodyofautism.com and email easily faith at melodyofautism.com. That's a, um, an easy way to be in touch with me as well. And one of the things Tara, that I've been doing a lot since so I'm super open to this is, uh, any parent who has a thought about, Hmm, I, I want to do this. I'm not sure how to integrate the complexity of my current life with this idea of I need to make some additional income. I want to do it in a way that maybe creates some space for my kid or I have a business already, but I, it's not bringing me the joy. I wanted it to, and now it really matters. I can't let it go. It actually is bringing some money in. I'd love to just, you could get on the phone and just chat and throw all the pieces out on the floor and, and see. So I'd be happy to spend some time with, with mommies especially guys too but with mommies just kind of like let's grab a coffee virtually and just talk so yeah. that's that's a very generous offer and i i hope that that people take <laughs> you up on that because having someone to walk through that who actually understands the day-to-day realities is yeah. um well is hard to come by and I know you talk about uh, building that village around you as well. We talk about that here at My Child Will Thrive as well. And um, it's amazing to have you as part of this village too, um, as a resource for parents that are, are trying the entrepreneurial journey, which I think can be uh, radical <laughs> self-care too now. I have a perspective, so thank you. <laughs> well, you, know, you do, it, do it the way you're thinking about it. It really can be. So that, that's, that's an amazing gift. Um, so I have to thank you for that. I also want to encourage people to, um, check out Facebook, um, parenting, uh, like a ninja, correct? Parenting like a ninja. And, yeah. and it's, it has its own domain, parenting, like a ninja.com. So yeah, they can go check there. 
Perfect. And we'll make sure all those links are also in the show notes and below this video as well. And um, again, Faith, I want to thank you for taking time. Uh, you may have noticed if you're watching this video that Faith is sitting in her car. This is real life entrepreneurship as a parent. When you have kids inside the home, we can't always predict what's going to happen next. So um, sometimes we just have to grab a quiet moment in the car to record a video or two. It gets noisy at my house, especially. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm thrilled that you and your car could join us today. And uh, I look forward to, I would love to do this again. Oh, I would love it. Thank you. Wonderful. Okay. Bye for now. So that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me this week on My Child Will Thrive. I'm so passionate about giving you the tools and information you need to help your child recover. And as they say, it takes a village. So join us in the My Child Will Thrive Village Facebook group, where you can meet like-minded parents and stay up to date on everything we have going on at My Child Will Thrive. This is Tara Hunkin, and I'll catch you on the next podcast or over at mildchildwillthrive.com.